Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. I'm trying no. something new. How fun. It's it Halloween. Yeah. I got it's a, spooky. I got to laugh like Dracula on Halloween. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the last few times I keep going, ooh. What would you rather? I don't know. That one's tired. That was fun. Thank you. Give me a good Dracula laugh. Me? Yeah. I just did. No, do it again. I can't, I can't think of Dracula and not think of the Count from Sesame Street. Yeah. Like, that's what I would be going for. Like, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. Like one cupcake. It's not ah, spooky ah, to ah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get us warmed up because it's spooky, baby. It's yeah. the day. I'm excited for this story. I have things have been happening recently for me on the believer front. Yeah, for ghosts and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of always was like, it probably is real, but I'm just not going to think about it. And yeah. then this like video we saw, I was like, well, it's kind of hard to not think about it now. That's true. Yeah. Well, I've been doing a lot of research on The Conjuring House. Obviously, this is what we're talking about today. But one of the videos that came out recently is two ghost hunters that I like watching. They're Sam and Colby. I'm sure people are familiar with them. Um, but they recently released an episode where they're in The Conjuring House and, and uh, they caught some really insane evidence that is just hard to deny it's hard to explain away and yeah so that's what we've been watching if it's real and they're not like i don't know having somebody else tap off camera or something this is nuts yeah basically what he's explaining is there are these two people in the conjuring house who are like caretakers and when they hold each other's wrists they somehow form some crazy connection and then you immediately hear footsteps and like tapping and they can communicate with these spirits through taps and they're like one for your yes two for no and they go through the alphabet and they spell things out it's kind of like a living breathing ouija board and it's really interesting um yeah but yeah, yeah, it takes place in the Conjuring House, which is what we are talking about today. In other words, we're talking about the survival of the Perrin family because the Conjuring House is... Spooky. Yeah, definitely spooky and has been for a very long time. But yeah, the survival of the Perrin family in this crazy haunted house is what inspired the Conjuring movie. Um, it's not like very accurate the movie but arguably the book is scarier than the movie because so andrea perrin who is one of the daughters of the family wrote a trilogy based on her family's experience and those books are terrifying wait it's like star wars yes yeah yeah no i want to know so we we did watch the movie we did so i watched it for the first time so oh, yeah that was your first time that yeah was... i hadn't seen it before it was spooky but yes. then you're you're like every every time something happens you're like that's not accurate <laughs> like actually this is scarier and i'm like oh shit like i don't know it's like it was fine for most of the movie but towards the end i was like oh i must have been really fun to watch that movie with yeah i'm like well, mm, no wrong <laughs> no you weren't you were bad it was just like every time you did say it i was like oh god damn like yeah you're really building up this episode so I'm, yeah let's jump in okay let's Enough do it me. <laughs> let's do it 
Roger and Carolyn Perrin purchased their house in the suburbs in 1964. It was a modest Cape Cod-style house with a nice backyard in Cumberland, Rhode Island. They chose that house to raise their five daughters in since the schools in that area were pretty good and the community was peaceful and quiet. However, in the summer of 1970, things changed drastically for the family. That summer, the children had been gifted a puppy. Carolyn was just as excited about the puppy as her children were, so she decided the dog needed a special name. She thought for a moment and then declared the dog would be named Bathsheba. No. Are you serious? I am dead serious. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll learn the significance of that name later. Andrea, their oldest child, had fallen in love with the dog, but tragedy struck when Andrea had taken Bathsheba for a walk and she got off her leash and ran after a car of cheerleaders who had been all shouting in unison and shaking their colorful pom-poms. Bathsheba darted across the road and Andrea began screaming for Bathsheba to come back which the obedient dog heard and turned around to run back to Andrea. However, on its way back, an elderly couple struck the dog with their car. And this was in front of all of the parent daughters. They were Oof. devastated at the loss of their beloved family pet, Andrea especially. She felt responsible for Sheba's death and quickly fell into a depression over it. She stopped playing outside and barely interacted with her siblings. To cheer Andrea up, her parents decided they would take in four kittens, and they would also take the girls on a vacation. That way, the family could kind of get back to normal. It had been working. Andrea loved their kittens and formed a bond with one they called Scrunch. Their girls had a fantastic time, and everything was finally getting back to normal after this vacation. However, at home, things weren't good. Carolyn and Roger had asked Carolyn's mother to watch the kittens and their house while they were away, but on the day the parents got home from their trip, her mother had left the house for a while. When the family pulled up to their house, Roger immediately noticed that their door to the sun porch had been wide open. In the past few years, their community had become a lot more dangerous. There had been break-ins, thefts, and gang-related assaults happening in the area. And when Andrea and the girls got out of their car to greet their kitties, Andrea once again discovered that her pet had been killed. Two of the kittens had been stolen and sold, and the other two had been beaten to death. Seriously? Yeah. Somebody broke into their house? Yes, a couple and beat people. the kittens to death? Yes, one of which was Andrea's kitten Scrunch. Ugh. And she found Scrunch like that. So it was really traumatizing. Yeah, no shit. So they were at their grandma's this whole time, though? They were away on vacation. This vacation was, like, specifically to cheer Andrea up. And they came home, and they found Scrunch and, like, the other kitten that had been oh, beaten to death. The poor kid. I mean, two? Yes. Two is rough. And, like, within a very short time of each other. When Andrea saw her kitten, something in her snapped. She ended up finding out who did it, and it happened to be a few boys in her neighborhood. Like, they were her neighbors. So she tracked down the one that killed her kitten and beat him to a pulp, wanting to do to him what he did to Scrunch. <laughs> yeah. And a neighbor did stop her before she killed him, but she said she had never felt so evil in her life. Whoa. Yeah. Carolyn desperately wanted to get her kids out of there. Things had become far too dangerous, and she wanted her kids to grow up in the country like she had. She begged her husband to consider relocating the family, and she insisted that her children be surrounded by wild nature instead of wild criminals. 
Roger wanted that too, but they were in no financial spot to move. But after someone crashed their car into the parents' home, Carolyn had had enough. She ended up finding an absolutely incredible farmhouse for sale in the village of Harrisville. It was a nine-room colonial farmhouse with a barn and 200 acres of land for $75,000. Okay, can you repeat those stats for me? Because <laughs> somehow I, I heard nine bedroom. <laughs> mm-hmm farmhouse yeah colonial yep very nice touch yes but with a barn and 200 acres of land for seventy five thousand dollars. Two hundred acres of land you heard me we don't have to make ourselves depressed we can just say today that would be a lot of money i mean even in the six so here's my follow-up question okay what's wrong with it well it's incredibly haunted there's a reason it's 75 g's <laughs> It was also in the middle of nowhere, and it was like... Bro, it's nine bedrooms and 200 acres. It was old, old. Carolyn knew they didn't have the money they would need to get that house, but she figured it couldn't hurt to go and look at it. And once she did, (laughs) right? Famous last words. She fell in love with this farmhouse. It was the perfect place to raise her family. That day, she decided they would do whatever they had to do to get that house, and she put down a $500 deposit to hold the property, which was everything they had to their names. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I actually enjoy the story. Like, are they going to, like, pull out credit cards or what? No, just listen. So they had maybe a few extra dollars for bread and milk, but she spent all of their money on this farmhouse, and Roger didn't know. This is going to be a tension in the marriage. Yeah. So Roger was away on business and Carolyn was like, (laughs) I'm going to go look at this farmhouse and see how it is. And then she saw it and she fell in love with it. And she immediately put down $500 that day. And she wasn't even supposed to go and look at anything. So she felt guilty about touring the farmhouse on her own and putting basically all of their money down without her husband's approval. And when he got home, he was pissed. But she convinced him to just go and look at it with her and the girls, and then he would change his mind. And she was right. That farmhouse was exactly where their family needed to be. They saw it on a magical summer day, and at that point they decided they would do whatever they had to do to get it. The old man who had been selling the house, Mr. Kenyon, had lived there almost his entire life, and he told the parents that he wanted his home to go to their family specifically, so they made it work. By January of 1971, Roger and Carolyn, along with their five daughters, moved into the house of their dreams, which would eventually become the house of their nightmares. Still technically a dream. Yeah, that's true. Their haunting began immediately. The day they moved in was a snowstorm. It was freezing. Sorry, I have to ask this. How did they manage the finances? (laughs) How did they put a down payment they spent like months saving and like roger worked so many extra hours and they didn't eat out ever or and they like just saved every single penny and put it to the house word i respect that yeah the day they moved in was a snowstorm it was freezing and everything was iced over mr kenyon was still there since he was still moving his things out of the house and the family loved mr kenyon although he did say some odd things to roger that he didn't quite understand He told Roger, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. That was like one of the first things he told Roger. Damn, okay. Ominous. But you could kind of like write this off as like this guy, a little off. Yeah. He's old. It's a big farmhouse. They're in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. Roger didn't think too hard about the statement because 
the farmhouse was really large and he figured that Mr. Kenyon was saying that so that the girls knew how to get around in the dark. But as we'll soon find out, that wasn't why he was saying that. On the first day they moved in, Andrea and the kids saw their first full-body apparition. Day one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm starting out strong. Andrea's father had given her a box from the moving van to take inside, and as she walked through the farmhouse, she greeted Mr. Kenyon, who was still gathering the last of his things in the dining room, and she saw another man with him, whom she had never seen before. The man was wearing strange clothes that looked homemade. Andrea's first thought was that this was a neighbor who had come over to say goodbye to Mr. Kenyon, so as she walked past the man, she said, Good morning, sir. That man didn't acknowledge her, which, again, she didn't find weird since she was just a kid. She walked past him and went into the kitchen, where her mother had been with her baby sister April. She asked her mother who the man was with Mr. Kenyon, and her mother told her that there wasn't anyone with Mr. Kenyon. His son was on the way, but he hadn't arrived yet. After Andrea had talked to her mother about the man, her other sister, Christine, came into the kitchen with a box and said, Did you see that man with Mr. Kenyon? He's dressed funny. And then Cindy walked in and said the same thing. Meanwhile, Andrea had walked back outside to get another box. When Nancy came into the kitchen, Cindy was still in there and she leaned over to her and said, Did you see that man with Mr. Kenyon? I did, but he just disappeared. Uh-oh. <laughs> Spooky. Yeah, that was their introduction to the home and to the supernatural. Wait, so all four of them had the same experience? Yeah, all except April, who was like a baby at that point. A few hours later, once the moving van had emptied, Andrea's father went into the dining room and found Mr. Kenyon, who was still packing. He had been moving slowly, and it was pretty apparent that this old man who had lived there his whole life didn't want to leave. Roger said, Earl, this house is plenty big enough. You can stay here with us. Because they really, truly loved Mr. Kenyon. But he said, no, he would leave and come back for visits. Four of the five girls who were in the room as well could all see the man still standing with Roger and Mr. Kenyon. But for some reason, they knew their father and Mr. Kenyon couldn't see him. And they also felt like they shouldn't say anything about him being there because they were having a conversation. So all four of them separately were like, yep, there's that man, but we're just not gonna say anything because clearly dad can't see him. Uh-huh. I don't know. They just had a silent understanding that they weren't gonna say anything. Mrs. Perrin believed it was a man named Johnny Arnold who died there in his 40s in the 1800s, but they later found out that it was actually a man named Joseph who had died there. And this is like kind of recent information. They found out that it was Joseph. Because Cindy, I believe, called him Manny because he was a man. So she just named him Manny. And um, <laughs> recently, people who have been investigating the house have like made contact with a male spirit. And he was like, oh, Cindy used to call me Manny. So he literally identified himself and was like, my name's Joseph. Cool. So that's just recent news. But anyway, even though the kids had seen this full body apparition and knew something odd had happened, they didn't talk about it. And at first, everything seemed great. 13-year-old Andrea had her own room upstairs, while her sisters, 11-year-old Nancy and 10-year-old Christine, shared another, and then the youngest, Cindy and April, had another room to themselves. The house provided ample space for the girls to play, and April would regularly play with the spirit of a young boy named Henry, just by herself. She was just playing with Henry. Although Carolyn hadn't seen the man standing with Mr. Kenyon on their first day in the house, she too also started experiencing odd things in the house right after they moved in. 
Carolyn spent a lot of time alone in that house since Roger was typically away on work and during the day, the girls would go to school, all except April, who was too young. It started with Carolyn hearing footsteps upstairs. The first time she heard it, she thought it was April up there until April walked into the room only a second later, which meant she definitely couldn't have been upstairs. She also had many instances where she felt an extremely odd sensation that she wasn't alone, like there was someone or something else in the room with her. She would feel sick and there would be an awful rotting smell and she would get a knot in her stomach that she couldn't ignore. The house was also always cold. Of course, it was the winter in an old farmhouse, so they chalked that one up to the season, but there would be times when Carolyn and the kids would feel a sudden chill pass over them, so cold they could see their breath. Doors would open and shut on their own, things would disappear and reappear, and there were always odd sounds happening. And not only would doors open and shut, but they would open and slam, sometimes multiple times in a row. So a door would just like open and slam and open and slam and open and slam. Yeah, I feel like it's one thing if it just opens or closes. It's still creepy. You'd be like, ah, it was the wind. It was a, it was draft. a draft. Yeah, And then it just like keeps happening. You're mm-hmm. like, okay. Can't really explain that one away. Yeah. It's just creepy. Many times when a door would open, it would be accompanied by a horrible stench of rotting flesh, especially when the cellar door or pantry door would open. So these specific doors, whenever they would open, it would fill the house with this awful like pungent rotting smell yeah yeah also all the clocks stopped at 5 15. what the fuck yeah so this is just the the beginning this is the warm-up this is all creepy but nothing so terrifying yet so when is it a.m or p.m it was a.m when carolyn first brought up the issue to roger he immediately brushed it off she told him she constantly felt as if she was being watched and she was hearing weird noises and seeing things But he told her that she was just paranoid from living in Cumberland for too long, and everything was fine. The girls had come to terms with the fact that not everything in life is as it appeared. But with each experience they had, they knew they couldn't share that information with their father, and they didn't even want to share it with their mother. They barely spoke about their experiences with each other. It was just an unspoken understanding that their house was spooky. One day when the girls had arrived home from school, Carolyn had left April asleep in the other room as she greeted her other four daughters. But as the four of them sat at the table enjoying an after-school snack, April wandered into the room still wrapped in her blanket. She was disgruntled and demanded to know why she had been so rudely awakened just moments earlier. She asked her sisters, who shook me like that? April began to cry. So Carolyn picked her up and assured her that no one had been in the room with her while she was asleep and definitely none of them had shaken her awake. This is not comforting. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Um, But she's like, okay, this is just my little baby daughter. She probably scared herself, but Mm -hmm. no, she probably was shaken awake. Cindy started having experiences in her bedroom at night. The upstairs had three large bedrooms that the girls took up. They had doors between them that they always kept open because it was the only way to circulate heat between them. Cindy, who shared her room with her sister Christine at the time, kept coming into Andrea's room to sleep in bed with her. This was within a day or two of living on the farm. Cindy told Andrea she had been hearing voices in her room, and Andrea at first believed it was just Christine who would sleep talk. But Cindy told her, no, Christine isn't talking. She was sound asleep. She heard multiple voices all talking at once, completely surrounding her bed. And according to Cindy, who was only around seven years old at the time, they were all saying the same thing. And Andrea asked what that was. And that was, 
there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. They're all saying that? At the same time, yeah. Like in unison? Multiple voices all around her bed in unison saying there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. So they're not like overlapping. They're all oh, like... Maybe they were over... Honestly, I don't know. But they were all saying that all at once. I can't tell which one's creepier. I think maybe not unison would be scarier. I don't know. I don't know. They're I both terrifying. I feel like both would be pretty bad. What was their tone? Was it like fun or I'm were they sorry. singing? Do you think you know? I was there? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like... <laughs> It would be kind of funny if they were saying it. <laughs> they weren't. It wasn't silly. It no. was spooky. Spooky. She said that they would say it over and over, and they progressively got louder and louder with each time they said it. Okay, no. She wasn't sure how it didn't wake up everyone in the house. And she would hear those voices almost every night for the 10 years she lived there. Every night? Almost, yeah. And it saying didn't matter. the same thing? Yeah, and it didn't matter what room she slept in. She would just have this happen. Needless it's to like, say, guys, she knows. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we get She's it. She's aware. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. We uh, heard it, you. Like enough. Right. Yeah. It's really scary to think about. I mean, that's terrifying. I mean, did she get any sleep ever? Yeah, she did. She would like put the blanket over her head and she would just go to sleep. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty metal. That honestly. is pretty metal. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like after that, try and scare her right she's like dude oh you well have no idea there are definitely scary things that happen to her oh so. i know i'm sure yeah but i'm just saying like after the experience when she moves out right yeah you can't really do anything that'll surprise her yeah <laughs> <laughs> needless to say the children learned to travel in packs fairly quickly they knew from day one that their home was a shared space and none of them traversed it alone unless absolutely necessary Although, their traveling in packs didn't save them, because weird shit still kept happening. The girls would often play together with their chalkboard. Andrea would teach the other girls a lesson. But since they all traveled in packs, when one of them was hungry or needed to use the bathroom, they would all go get a snack or use the bathroom. However, after one of these group trips to the kitchen, they returned to their room to find that their entire lesson had been wiped clean from the chalkboard. It didn't matter how many times they rewrote the lesson or what subject they were learning about, it would be smudged beyond recognition or completely wiped clean. None of them ever said a word about it to each other, which is really strange. They would just walk into the room and see that the lesson was wiped away and they would just like silently restart or like do something else. Dude, this is wild to me. Like they didn't talk about it at all. At some point they do, but like there were certain things that it was just like an understanding that it wasn't them like they didn't have to be like oh christine you wiped it away because they knew it wasn't them yeah i don't know like that just would never be me i'd be like hey huh huh yeah it's spooky but uh what are they gonna do it's their house probably happens so often at a certain point yeah you come to this but exactly just seems shocking to me when they re-entered the room to find that the board was like that they would just heave a heavy sigh but that was it they'd just be like god (laughs) again Henry, please. It wasn't Henry. They decided to move the chalkboard out into the woodshed, hoping that the change of scenery would deter whoever was messing with them. And for a time it worked. But after several days of peaceful sessions, the group returned to the woodshed from getting a snack and found that it had not only been smudged, but it was twisted 90 degrees. One weekend, the kids found their chalkboard had been thrown and smashed to pieces. It was nothing but a mess of splintered wood. And this was after a weekend of like not having, you know, played this like lesson thing. They were just like minding their business. And then their dad called them into the woodshed and was like, 
what the hell? And their chalkboard was shattered. Wow. Not cool. Spirits. Seriously. None of them were even capable of lifting the chalkboard, let alone throwing it 20 feet, which is what happened. It was literally thrown. The children were devastated because they loved their lessons and playing with the chalkboard. They had so many questions, but there was just no answer to them. Carolyn would soon experience something so terrifying that she banned her kids from even stepping foot in their barn or the woodshed. On one afternoon while the girls were at school, Carolyn decided to go out to the barn. During her initial tour of the property, Mr. Kenyon had taken her into the barn and expressed how proud of it he was. As she looked around, she noticed a hand scythe hanging overhead, dangling precariously from the highest beam more than 30 feet from the ground. And a hand scythe is like a sharp, rounded tool that's used for cutting and baling hay. And it was just like dangling from the center beam, super high up in the barn. Like the hook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, think like Russia? Yes, think think Russia. Like Russian flag? Yes. She didn't think that the scythe had been hanging like that the last time she was in there, but it was very dark in the barn, so she just told herself maybe she had missed it. She entered from the smaller side door and left it open so that some light would come in, and the old barn was brutally cold, and everything was extremely still and silent. It was so quiet, Carolyn could hear her own heartbeat. But all of a sudden, she heard this whooshing sound. At first, she thought maybe it was a bird or an owl that had gotten stuck at the top of the barn, but as she looked up to see, she saw the scythe was coming down at her. She recalled being instantly frozen in place and watched it as it fell down at her. She wanted to move, but her body wouldn't let her. And suddenly, the sharp tool struck her, the blade slicing hard across both her neck and her shoulder. By some stroke of luck, the multiple layers she had on and her husband's bulky leather jacket had taken the majority of the impact, and it didn't kill her. Although without those layers, it easily could have. The jacket was destroyed. It was basically sliced in half, but she thankfully didn't get her head cut off. That's terrifying. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. She felt like she couldn't move? Yeah, she said she was, like, paralyzed. Wow. Yeah, she wanted to, but she just couldn't. I mean, this is beyond any spooky. This is, like... Dangerous. Yeah. Oh, it'll get dangerous. Do you know how big it was? It was a hand scythe, so it's, like, a... Maybe... You're showing me, like, a two-foot thing? Probably. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. And it was just, like, swinging from the center beam. She was like, how did... First of all, why would anyone put it there? And second of all, how did they get it there? Because it was 30 feet in the air. And, yeah. she, and she saw it and was like, that wasn't there last time. And also, the barn was extremely still and quiet. And then out of nowhere, it started swinging and then fell down at her. She just couldn't explain it. She was like, what just happened? Yeah, wow. Saved by the coat. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. After that, she told her kids they weren't allowed in the barn or the woodshed anymore, which they were not happy about. But, you know. Maybe a good call. Yeah, probably. The scythe incident left a huge bruise on Carolyn's shoulder, and that wouldn't be the only time that she was physically attacked, leaving actual marks on her body. It was just one of many. There seemed to be one spirit who was tormenting her. This spirit believed they were the woman of the house and saw Carolyn as a threat to that. And so much of the really terrible haunting happened to Carolyn. She was like, for sure, the target. target. Yes. And she felt like she was losing her mind. But at the same time, she knew that what was happening wasn't just in her head. Even still, it would be months before she told her husband or anyone about what had happened. 
Carolyn had had enough of their house and her husband at that point, because anytime she brought anything up, he would not believe her or he would blame it on her, which was incredibly frustrating. And at this point, she wanted to leave, but now they really didn't have any money to move and they didn't have any equity in this house. So they were stuck there. That and because her children and Roger didn't want to leave. Despite the scary things going on and the frigid temperatures inside that house, they were like, mm, we love it here. Yeah, I mean, that's tough because I don't know if you don't believe in it, like you're probably just going to brush it off. But it's kind of crazy that he's blaming her. Mm hmm. Yeah, he thought his wife was literally losing her mind, for real. He's like, uh-oh. Some of it probably made sense. Yeah, and at some point when he couldn't explain things away and when he saw things himself or like experienced things himself, he still denied it because he was afraid. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And I get that, but also it really drove a wedge between their relationship and like, it wasn't good. Like it yeah. was really negative in that household. Although the fireplace had been boarded up, Carolyn decided one day when Roger was away that she was going to pry it open and hopefully bring an end to the horrible cold that she was experiencing because she was like chilled to the bone. Like it was almost always like a blizzard happening and it was an old farmhouse that had no heat. Like it was awfully cold. And these fireplaces were like boarded up for whatever reason. And Mr. Kenyon lived there for so many years and endured these winters. And she's like, why are these boarded up? What is the purpose? So she took a rusty crowbar to it and she spent the entire day pulling apart that fireplace. However, after she disturbed this fireplace that had been sealed for who knows how long, she may have triggered a bunch of supernatural activity in the house. Like it got really bad after the fireplace was destroyed. It wasn't destroyed, it was just opened. But once that fireplace had been exposed, Carolyn needed a shower after a long day of hard work. However, she wasn't alone in that bathroom. As she was in the shower, their neighbor, Mrs. Pettigrew, had stopped by to say hello and to drop off a cake that she had baked for the family. And as Carolyn had gotten out of the shower, she stepped into this small room they called the warm room, which was basically just a closet space off of the bathroom that was much warmer than the rest of the house. So it's where the kids and Carolyn would like get dressed after the shower. And as she took off her robe to get dressed, a hanger in the closet lifted off of the rack and began beating Carolyn. Oh my God. It was as if someone was holding the hanger and was beating her over the head, neck, and body. Like multiple hits. And hearing the commotion, one of her girls opened the closet door and they all witnessed Carolyn being beaten with a hanger by something that wasn't there. And after the beating stopped, no one could believe their eyes. Like the kids and the neighbor saw Carolyn being beaten by like a disembodied hanger. <laughs> oh, like the neighbor saw yes. it too. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Not just the kids. Is Roger going to believe this one? He was away and no, he's not going to believe this I one. I mean, dude, I mean, I how many times do I have to say this? Like that was a murder, people get convicted. That's true. If the hanger murdered her by a person like that, you know. It's enough whatever. to. Whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, that's enough witnesses to convict someone. It is. Yeah. It was almost like something in the house was punishing her for what she had done that day. And after that, Mrs. Pettigrew didn't return to the house ever. And you know, who can blame her? <laughs> and I She's do like, not. fuck this shit, I'm out. I do not blame her. I mean, but this is, so the scythe almost killed her. Now mm -hmm. she's being beaten by a floating hanger. Yep. And it still gets worse. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Great. would take the hanger over some of the other things that happened to her. Cool. Yeah. Roger was away on a trip at this time. He was like a traveling jewelry salesman. Like he sold jewelry out of his trunk. 
Really? Yeah. But when he saw the bruises all over Carolyn's body, he asked her what it was from, and she told him about the weird thing that had been happening, but he thought his wife was just losing her mind. And that, of course, put a huge strain on their marriage and fed into the negative energy in the house, like I said. Did he talk to the neighbor? No. I mean, did she tell him? Yeah. She was like, all the kids and the neighbor saw it. I'm not making this up. And he was like, I don't ask him. He was like, I don't want to hear it. Dude. (laughs) He like thought she was doing it to herself. It was not good because she was covered in bruises from like head to toe. Raj, not cool. Not cool, Raj. Yeah. The many months of enduring horrifying experiences had taken a huge toll on Carolyn, as you could expect. (laughs) She barely slept, ate, and it was as if she was aging at twice the speed she should have been from the stress. Anxiety and dread was a permanent state for Carolyn. But at least now they would have a fire to keep warm. <laughs> like, I mean, there the was simple that. things in life, you know? Uh-huh. It was weird because the thing that was attacking Carolyn really liked Roger. It was as if it wanted to replace Carolyn. Like, it was kind of enamored with Roger and, like, liked the kids, kind of. But, like, was attacking Carolyn. Wow. I mean, it would still scare the kids. Like, the kids weren't super safe. But, like, Roger's experiences with this being was, like, almost, like, loving. It's already really creepy, but it continues to get more so. Yeah. Like, I'll get into the specifics of that later. But Roger's experiences with this thing is, like, not scary. (laughs) Like, I mean, scary in that it's a ghost and you're like, oh, God, what just happened? But, like, not the type of haunting that Carolyn got. And it did take a while for this to happen because... For like the first year or so they lived there, I mean, kind of more than that, Roger just fully did not believe his wife when she said weird things were happening and that she was being attacked. But when their bed started moving to the middle of their bedroom while they slept, he couldn't really ignore that or like explain it away because like the bed would just be in the middle of the room. And he was like, what? And she's like, dude, I've been telling you. (laughs) It was a draft. (laughs) It's just the floorboards, Roger, right? Roger, are you okay? Yeah. He would also feel like someone was caressing his back or touching his arm or his head. And the first few times he thought that it was his wife and would turn around to find no one in the room with him. Oh my God. Yeah. Like one time they had a fight and uh, he like went into the kitchen or whatever. And then he felt like a hand go like from his shoulders and like down his back. And he thought that it was Carolyn like coming to like make up. And he was like, oh, like you decided to join me? And then he turned around and, and there was no one there. And he was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, Alex is shaking yeah, his head. No, no. <laughs> no thank you. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. But also like the scythe and hanger. Yeah. And it's going to get worse for Carolyn. So while that was Roger's experience, Carolyn was being tormented at all hours of the day and night. She would wake up in the night to find her bedroom on fire. The curtains, what? the curtains, the quilt, the floor, her furniture, And before Carolyn could even get up, the fire went out and the room was once again dark. She was left speechless on the floor. Like she got up and was on the floor and she was like, what just happened? And she like looked out into the parlor and saw that the fireplace wasn't even active. Like it was dead. It's confusing. Yeah. It's like, what do you even say? What? And that wasn't even the worst one. One night, Carolyn had heard the distinct sound of footsteps approaching her bed And sensing a presence next to her, assuming it was one of her children, she reached out and said, what's the matter, honey? But when she opened her eyes, she saw a grotesque figure of a woman hovering above her bed. This is like some of the description from Andrea Perrin's book. 
She was staring directly into a terrifying apparition of a woman, which had been wearing a rusty green handmade hand dyed fabric dress with a belt cinched at the waist with an oval buckle covered in the same fabric. She had an ugly beehive head, a hornet's nest of a face, a broken neck snapped and was hanging to the side. It had no face, no eyes, no mouth, just a mess of rotting flesh with wisps of wiry hair on the top of its head. It had no hands and no feet, and it was floating above her. And it was so cold, she couldn't breathe, and so close to her, it looked like it wanted to touch her or give her the kiss of death. It was directly over her, like she opened her eyes to this horrifying being over her. Damn, I would say this is sleep paralysis if everything else wasn't happening. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) It's not. It didn't have hands or feet? No, and it didn't have like a face. A face? Yeah. It was just like stumps and like a head, but it was very obviously a person, but like, you know, with no features. I mean, the snap neck is just next level. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen Haunting of Hill House, it's the bent neck lady. Like, I mean, it's scarier than the bent neck lady, but that's what it is. I wonder if they got like inspiration from this because it's like very close to what it shows in the in the show. It makes sense. Yeah. Its head was leaning sharply forward as it approached her as if it were studying her. Carolyn, who was paralyzed with fear, tried desperately to scream or to wake up Roger, but nothing was working. She wanted to hide under the covers, and their bed slammed up against the wall, and Carolyn threw herself on top of Roger, hoping to get some distance between herself and this being. Although nothing was coming out of her mouth, she felt like she was screaming at full volume. In the last moment before the thing got to her, she managed to whisper, God help me, and then the thing vanished. Roger then began to wake up and like kind of stir after Carolyn had basically clawed at him like a wild animal, although he just rolled over and fell back asleep. (laughs) Yep. Carolyn, who could not sleep, went out into the parlor to to escape the hellhole that was her bedroom. She wrote down everything she saw in her notebook. And the next morning when Andrea came down the stairs, she happened to see her mother's notebook because she accidentally left it open. And she approached her mother and was like, you saw it too? Whoa. Yeah. She told her mother she had a terrible nightmare where she saw exactly the woman that her mother had drawn and explained in in the notebook. And this woman wanted to hurt her mother. And Andrea wanted to help her mother because she could hear her mother screaming, but it wouldn't let her. Uh, Excuse me. So Andrea heard her mom screaming. Yes. And the thing told her like, nah, bro. In so many words, yeah. It, it, How, like Andrea, it talked to her? I don't know that it talked to her, but it was like in her dream, she saw the thing like approaching her mother to attack her mother and she heard her mother screaming and she wanted to go and help her, but like she couldn't. Like she was like paralyzed almost. Oh. Which is scary enough, but it turned out Andrea wasn't the only child to have seen this terrifying encounter in a dream. Her other children did as well. They all came to her, except April, I think unprompted and was like i had a terrible nightmare and explained exactly that dude is that all i have to say dude <laughs> I do. what else is there to say no i know it's like it's not sleep paralysis because all of them had the exact same experience but carolyn's was just like amplified yeah i mean it had some of the characteristics but you know given everything else right and the independently verified dream by all of the daughters except for one yeah I mean, that we know of. Like, April didn't come to her and say anything because she was a baby. So it's like, if she had the nightmare, 
she's not going to be like hopefully she I don't know. forgot it you know? yeah even if she says like oh i had a nightmare like she's not going to explain this in like such a sophisticated way she's a kid you know i don't know so this was the first moment that andrea and the other daughters realized that their mother had been experiencing things too so they finally got to talk about it with each other because at this point the girls were like not sure that their mother was experiencing things as well and they that's why they weren't really talking to their mom about it like they were having experiences themselves but they didn't want to bring it up. Yeah. And talking about it with her daughters wasn't exactly comforting because the last thing Carolyn wanted was for her children to be experiencing the things that she had. She found out that when the girls had been playing hide and seek, I believe Cindy had gotten stuck behind what used to be an old chimney, but she said it felt like she was being squeezed by something. She was being squeezed so tightly that she couldn't breathe and it felt like her bones would break. But then her sister found her and it stopped. It was like almost like a bubble had burst and everything just like stopped happening. I don't know. We're like, what, halfway? About. Dude. <laughs> this is going to be my thing this episode. Just saying dude. Dude. <laughs> sure. Of all the kids, Cindy experienced a lot. Andrea speculated that this was because when Cindy was a baby, she had flatlined at one point. Like she became, I think, sick and like in the hospital had flatlined. And she thinks that the spirits were drawn to her because she had crossed over to the other side at some point. That's crazy. So she was clinically dead for some period of time because of an illness? I think a short period of time. I don't actually know what caused it, but she had an experience where she flatlined, yeah. Does she have any recollection of that? Like, I don't think so. I think she was a baby. That's wild. Yeah. The kids also told their mother after she tucked them in, a different woman would come into their rooms at night and kiss them before they went to bed. And they knew that it wasn't their mother because one, she smelled totally different. And two, they know what their mother looks like. And it wasn't their mother. So, okay, maybe lead with that one. <laughs> well, they said they were like, oh, well, you know, you smell like flowers and she smelled like fruit or something. She smelled like ass. No, no, it was actually, it wasn't the smelly one. It was like the one, she, they were like, oh, she smells like fruit or something. So they oh, knew it wasn't this her. This is like a cute but experience. it okay. was then followed by a third woman who would come into their room around 3 a.m. And she would make the room stink like rotting flesh. And they knew that she was the one that, quote unquote, hated mommy. Not. Not as chill. Not cute yeah, anymore. Not, not as chill. Cindy. Uh, with the rotting flesh, not disgusting. Yeah, it's giving demon. It's serving demon. <laughs> it, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it is. Cindy also heard and saw a young girl who would cry for her mommy. And Cindy knew that she was sick. So that's just terrifying and gross. Like she would just see a little girl like crying sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you say that, but I feel like we've already like been conditioned with <laughs> we've already so gotten, many things. Yeah. We've gotten some really bad ones. So like to hear and about a, halfway. a young girl crying, you're like, okay. And <laughs> yeah, no, now I hear Roger get like touched, like caressed in the yeah. kitchen. And I'm like, that's what, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what I said. Yeah. It's like, he got the loving side of the haunting. It's like, why would you want anything else but Roger's experience? I know, but like also boring. Right. You know, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It makes the like scary ghost children seem not so scary. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like Henry was like a neighborhood kid, you know? Yeah. I don't know. There was a lot of spirits there. Like there were a lot of people that died there and they were all chilling. This is another question I have is like, do old buildings just kind of have ghosts collect ghosts <laughs> like they inevitably just become haunted if that's the case i don't want to know cool because yeah 
then I'll be thinking about that anytime I go into a super old place. Like, I already kind of do. I'm already like, oh, this is place, this place is old. Like, it's probably haunted. But, like, I don't think too hard about it. But, like, if I had confirmation that that was just, like, a thing, like, anywhere you go, there's just ghosts, I'd, I'd be more freaked, I think. But I think that's kind of what it is. I don't know. Maybe I sound crazy now. I've just been researching The Conjuring House too much, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The family would go to church, but the priest and the congregation didn't want them there. A rumor had begun to spread that they were Satan worshippers, and people began to look at them very weirdly. And the girls were teased and taunted regularly at school. That sucks, but I do feel like, I don't know, kind of small bones to having rotting flesh lady kiss you goodnight. Right, yeah, it's it's like that isn't going to hurt me, right? Sticks and stones, but your, yeah. your words will never hurt me. So... Carolyn mostly ignored it because it was better than what was going on at home, right? Because she was still being constantly attacked. Her energy was being depleted. She was living off of coffee and cigarettes, which, of course, wasn't good. And one evening, she was stabbed in the calf. She was sitting on the couch when she felt a sharp pain and looked down to find her calf was badly bleeding. And when she cleaned it off, she saw what looked like a deep puncture wound from a large sewing needle. God. She was just sitting on the couch and she was stabbed in the calf. By a sewing needle? What looked like it, yeah. So it was like a small hole. It's like a large sewing needle. So like it's a puncture wound. Like it's not like a tiny little sewing needle. It's like a sizable one. Fuck, that must have hurt. Hell yeah. You just want to get stabbed in the calf and then you're just bleeding on the couch? Like what? Also like so like out of nowhere too. Yeah. She's just like sitting trying to enjoy the fireplace and she gets stabbed in her living room. She also had a fainting spell where she fell into the fire. They really did not appreciate that, did they? Yeah. But Roger thankfully immediately scooped her back up and she didn't burn alive, but that was terrifying. And that continued to happen. Like she had fainting spells and a couple more scares with the fireplace. She had to like keep a distance from the fireplace. Otherwise she would like fall into it. That's nuts. She just like, like just draw a line around it. Kinda. Like falling distance. Yeah. Keep a safe distance because otherwise someone's going to push You're you in the pool. In. <laughs> but it's not the pool. It's the fireplace. This poor woman. Just how how much more? I mean, she's got to be losing. If she wasn't losing it. Oh, she was losing it. She looked like so much older than she actually was because she was just constantly terrified. And like she wasn't taking care of herself. She wasn't eating. She wasn't sleeping. She was just like surviving quite literally. Yeah. And after her kids, like, after she talked to her kids about the experiences they had been having, she wasn't relieved in that her kids were experiencing scary things, but she was relieved in that she was like, okay, let's get out of this house. Like, let's sell it. And the kids were like, no, we love it here. And she was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> like, why don't you want to leave? And they were like, because we love our ghosts. She's like, I hate to break it to you. Mommy's going to fall in the fire yeah, one day. Mommy's getting stabbed in the calf. If we don't get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Mommy's being tormented, girls. Like, what? There would be times when the tormenting would stop. And after a while of nothing happening, Carolyn would almost start to feel comfortable. But then something would happen. And it would start all over. Her room set on fire in the middle of the night again. But this time, it wasn't just fire or the terrifying bent neck lady. This time, her bed was surrounded by eight to ten spirits holding torches and chanting something at her. They were telling her that she was not the mistress of the house and they were going to drive her out with fire. And this is what Andrea Perrin wrote in her book, like in quotes. 
Was mistress once afore ye came, and mistress here will be again. Will drive ye out with fiery broom, will drive ye mad with death and gloom. So I don't know if that's like exactly what they were chanting, but that's what Andrea Perrin wrote in her book. The Jesus. No, man. that's horrifying. That's so scary. Could you imagine? Eight? Your bed is surrounded. Like eight. with eight to ten spirits holding torches that are lit. And your your room's on fire, by the way. And also the bent neck lady, she's there. She is there. How funny would it be, though, if she had, like, a beautiful voice? <laughs> Death <laughs> and gloom. <laughs> no, that's not the case. It was bad. And Roger was asleep in bed for that. Like, he was in the room. And again, she, like, clawed at him and he didn't wake up. And then he woke up to, like, her claw marks on him. And he was like, what the hell? And she was like, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. You wow. would have done it, too. Yeah, I mean. It's my party and I will cry if I want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... I can't really imagine anything more terrifying than that. Right? Well, let's keep going. So after that incident, Carolyn was determined to figure out what demon wished her dead or what spirit in the house was doing this. She wanted to learn everything she could about the property to hopefully provide some kind of explanation. Thankfully, Carolyn did find a friend in this search. She was a woman named Fran who also lived in a haunted house. Thank God for Fran. <laughs> right? So at least she had someone. Um, but I mean, Fran's haunting was nothing compared to what she was going through. She was just like a spirit who like played the piano sometimes. Like it was, it was, oh, not... yeah. Like our, our TV turns on from time to time. <laughs> right. And she's like, oh, <laughs> I got something for you. Fran, listen to this. But at Fran, least, do you like fires? <laughs> yeah. Right. At least she now had someone she could talk to that like believed her because yeah. she wasn't going to talk to the kids about all these terrifying experiences because she didn't want to scare them. And Roger didn't believe her. So, like, even if she told him, he didn't care. Like, he, I mean, he he cared about his wife, but, like, their relationship was on the rocks. And, like, he was not believing her. And she did have other people in her life that she could talk to. Like, she had, I think it was her lawyer named Sam or something. Like, there was, this is kind of a back burner thing that I didn't really talk about in my notes. But, like, she did have someone in her life named Sam who she was talking to. But, like, he wasn't nearby like it wasn't like she could just see him whenever she wanted to she would like talk to him on the phone and he believed her because he also had experienced like ghosts and stuff but it's not like he was in her day-to-day -day life yeah but he's her lawyer i think he he was something like that if not her lawyer it was something to do with like because she would talk to him when she was like i want to sell the house and he was like you can't so he was like their realtor, their yeah, finance maybe. person? Maybe. It was something like that. It doesn't really matter. It's just... I just was asking if they were like, if she was kind of looking to get a divorce type of... No, not at that point. Lawyer. Not at that point. Although I, I didn't write this in my notes either. After they did leave the house, they do get a divorce. But the entire 10 year span that they're in the house, they're married and stay together. Wow. Yeah. 10 years mm -hmm. of this? Oh, yeah. Dude, I, how do you... See? There I go again. Just... I'm dumbfounded yeah. that you can endure this for a decade. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what I was saying, thankfully, she has a friend named Fran, and she's looking into the history of the house. And when she looked into the house, she discovered that it had been owned by the same family for eight generations, many of whom had died in the house under unexplained or horrible circumstances, including drownings in the creek, on the property, murders, and suicide. And this was the Arnold family. And then there was also a woman named Bathsheba Sherman, who was associated with the property. Although she never lived in the Arnold home, she did live on a farm on the property. So she was on the property, but she wasn't like in the actual house. 
if that makes okay. sense. Okay, but this was the dog. Right. Okay, so it's weird that Carolyn said, hey, let's name our dog Bathsheba, because many people believe that the person or spirit or entity, whatever, that was haunting her and wanted her dead and gone, basically, was Bathsheba Sherman. So she was like, there could only be one Bathsheba? There could only be one, one mistress, mistress? One mistress of the house, and it was her. But she's not, she didn't live in the house. So let me keep going. So she was born in 1812 in Rhode Island and married a man named Judson Sherman who worked on the Arnold property. Bathsheba was known to be a wicked woman and rumors spread around the town that she was a witch. The townspeople felt that their suspicions were correct when a baby that was in her care died under mysterious circumstances. When an autopsy was performed, the medical examiner determined the cause of death was a puncture wound at the base of the baby's skull that was done possibly by a large sewing needle. Okay? This is just getting creepier. Right. So many believed Bathsheba had killed the baby as a part of a satanic ritual. There were many people who believed Bathsheba should burn at the stake for what she had done. However, she was acquitted since there was no evidence to prove anything. She died on May 25th, 1885, four years after her husband Judson died on the Arnold Estate property. So they think like because her husband worked at the house or like near the house and he died there and she lived like technically on the property that her spirit resides there. Yeah. Wow. How did she get acquitted? So like there was no evidence. Yeah, but you were watching the baby, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So you're in the same place as the baby. That's what you would and think. And then the autopsy shows a... Puncture wound. Puncture wound to the skull from a sewing needle. Yep. They suspected a sewing needle, but they didn't have proof of it. A puncture wound from something. Yeah. And the baby... Died. Fell on it. I don't know. I, I guess I see that there's no physical evidence tying her to it. Right. But who else would it have been? Like, it's not... It's not like a needle just found its way there. Well, it happened in 1880-something or 1870-something. So, like, I don't know, you know, like, who knows? But Bathsheba Sherman is the spirit that the makers of the Conjuring movie focused on. And many believe that Bathsheba was behind the torment of Carolyn Perrin. Like, if you have seen the Conjuring movie, she's the demon. Like, she's the one that is terrifying in the movie and andrea perrin is actually a huge defender of bathsheba sherman because she believes that the spirit is misunderstood and the whole murder trial and satan worshiper thing was just ludicrous to andrea and because of the conjuring movie bathsheba doesn't even have a proper headstone since her grave has been vandalized so many times from people who saw the movie and like literally just destroyed her grave and andrea hates that yeah i mean that's not cool right And also, there's never been any proof or, you know, evidence that it is Bathsheba who did that to Carolyn, obviously, because how could you? (laughs) Because how could you? I guess she's acquitted in death as well. But, you know, people believe it. And and Lorraine Warren, who we're going to talk about, believed it was Bathsheba or someone, you know, some demon or something. But she was like, "Mm, probably Bathsheba. And she just pulled that out of her head. She's like, oh, Bathsheba's here. Damn. Yeah. I mean, also, what a weird name. Yeah. Yeah. And they named their dog that out of nowhere. Weird. A little weird. Anyway. I already said this, but the reason people believe Bathsheba was behind everything, because it was the first name that Lorraine Warren said after she like stepped foot in the farmhouse. She was like, oh, I believe you're being tormented by Bathsheba Sherman. 
it, like according to Andrea Perrin, she said that in like many interviews. So in the Conjuring film, Carolyn Perrin found the Warrens at a conference and asked them to look into the strange occurrences that were happening at her house. However, in reality, that never happened. Carolyn never asked anyone to come to her home and, and look at things. And I've actually heard two different instances. Either two paranormal investigators claimed Carolyn called them about her home, although Carolyn said that she never did this, but it was those investigators who tracked down Ed and Lorraine Warren and told them about the farmhouse. Or it was a family friend who contacted the Warrens. Either way, the Warrens came to their house and not by the request of the parents. Interesting. I also wonder if she like called them and didn't remember it or something. I mean, if she really is in this bad of shape, it wouldn't be crazy to me if she possibly i mean i was not in that state. out of the realm of possibility but andrea has said many times that her mother is like dead set that she has never called anyone about it yeah so one october evening after four years of living in this house the warrens literally just showed up on their doorstep and asked if they could come in and the parents were like sure sit hello. down and have some coffee yeah they were like hello old couple coming in from the night like sure it's the 70s you can come in like yeah you know <laughs> I was in the neighborhood. Right. Ed and Lorraine Warren were extremely famous demonologists, for those of you who don't know. Lorraine Warren was a psychic medium, and the two of them traveled the country helping people with their dangerous hauntings. And, you know, they I guess they gave themselves the name demonologists because they, like, you know, quote-unquote specialized in demons. So they have an extensive list of hauntings that they've been a part of, one of which was the original Annabelle story. So maybe we'll talk about that at some point, but that's not today. That's just one of the things that they've been a part of. On their first trip to the farmhouse, Lorraine asked for a walkthrough. And when she entered the couple's bedroom, she immediately stopped and said, no one should sleep in this bedroom. <laughs> Isn't that just awful? Well, I mean, probably pretty validating. Well, yeah, but not only did she say that, she also suggested they board it up and stop using it entirely. She's like, um, no one should step foot in this room. God, that's terrifying. Yeah. She also stopped inside the laundry room through the pantry door, which, if we remember, was the one that never stopped opening and slamming. Or one of the ones. Lorraine stepped inside and then immediately backed out, startled by the negative energy in the room, and said, quote, something awful happened in there. Violent. The poor thing. So young. A girl. Blood. Definitely a female. And she said that the door kept opening because this girl was just reliving what happened and she was trying to escape, which is Ugh. so sad if that is true. But she just literally walked into like the most active places in the house and pulled it out of thin air that like, this is the place that's spooky. And like, here's why. Yeah. Don't love Uncomfy. it. Uncomfy. Yeah. Don't love it. She suggested they have a conversation with the children, meaning her and Ed talk to the children. And although Roger was not at all on board for that, Carolyn convinced him it may help their family in the long run because Lorraine had convinced Carolyn that the kids were in grave danger. So she was like, I think we should let them talk to them. So the Warrens met the kids and they were stunned by what the kids had to tell them about the many spirits they regularly saw and interacted with. Like all of the kids were like, oh yeah, and I talked to this one and I see this one and we and this is what happens at night. And like, 
I hear tapping and I smell rotting flesh. And then this woman comes into my room and she scares me. So I pull the blanket over my head and then I see the little girl crying. And then, you know, whatever. Like, they just wouldn't shut up. Like they had hundreds of things, each of them, basically. And the Warrens were like, what? <laughs> They're just there dumbfounded. Yes. <laughs> and, and Roger didn't know any of this. I don't know if he knew or not, but he definitely didn't believe it. I don't think he did because the kids didn't like tell their father because he would have like outbursts and he was like angry sometimes and they were just like, eh, we're not going to tell dad. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying like hearing all of this at once must be overwhelming if you believe it at all. Right. The Warrens were also extremely concerned about Carolyn, not just the children, but Carolyn as well, because at times it seemed like she was in a trance and would stare and would go through like waves of extremely aggressive behavior, which they knew was unlike her because she would like yell at them over something. And then like two seconds later, she would like forget that it even happened and be like, oh, like, would you like some tea or like something? Like it was just, it was very weird. And they were like, um, I don't know. Something's up with you. Something's eating you. Something scary is eating you right now. Lorraine was convinced that a demon, potentially Bathsheba, or something else someone unintentionally invited into their home was attaching itself to Carolyn and attacking her. So that's what Lorraine said. She wasn't quite possessed, but from what Lorraine felt, she was getting there. So she's like on her way to possession. Yeah, and I guess this is where I have questions. Okay. How do that work? So there are like stages of, I guess, demonic possession. Is is this like a thing... Is yeah. Like demonology, like, is there like a textbook? Well, I don't you know, think so. This is the stages. It's like you can't really say you're like a, uh, an expert in any of this because it's like pseudoscience. I'm just wondering if it has progressed to a point where people like Ed and Lorraine Warren are like, oh, yeah, step one. They. It's like invitation. And then step two is yeah, like oppression. And then some, step three like... is. Yeah. Well, so from Ed and Lorraine Warren's perspective, they had had many experiences with these you know beings entities whatever they go into a house and they are like Lorraine Warren could either see things or she knew what was going on or she could like communicate with these beings I don't know but on multiple occasions they would go in and like see these like the progression of things so from their standpoint it was almost as if Carolyn was like holding hands with a demon but it wasn't quite wearing her skin yet because if like a possession interesting because a possession like at least from like what i perceive it as is like it's using your body it's like wearing you basically and it's like communicating through you and like it it you know it takes over your body and like wants your soul i don't know who knows but it doesn't just like happen overnight like it like there are stages to it and this is getting real woo woo and this is like interesting stuff that i like to I read mean, about i don't know if i believe it or not for, though it's halloween yeah, I don't I want know. The woo. Who knows for real, right? Like, I don't know. But from what they knew, they were like, she's on her way to being possessed. How does one stop the progression? So they, they thought that they could. They were like, okay, we're going to do a seance and we can get this demon away from you. Or right. this, like, it's spirit. like, uh, it's not quite terminal, but it's a stage it's that's bad. not good. Yeah, it's bad. Lorraine suggests they do a seance with a priest and another medium and a tech crew to like... A tech crew. Well, that was more for like recording it for like evidence. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, we want to get our own evidence. So we're going to bring in like cameras and recording devices. 
But for Carolyn's sake, they brought in a priest and another medium, or they were going to. And that took a quite a bit of convincing as well. But after multiple visits from the Warrens, they finally decided that it had to happen. The Warrens, a priest and a medium named Mary, and two large men entered their home to do the seance and document it. And what occurred that night was by far the most traumatic experience the parents would ever have. She had told her kids to find a friend's house to go to that night, but unfortunately only Nancy was successful in that, so the rest of the kids were just there. And Andrea and April watched what happened from the stairs through like a crack that they left in the doorway because the door wasn't all the way closed. So of course these kids are going to watch what's happening. And they did. You're like, mom's having a seance. Right. So Carolyn sat on a big chair in their parlor as the seance began. Mary had everyone join hands and asked for the spirit to show itself. And the table began to vibrate and move like almost immediately. It's like truly every seance you've like ever seen in a movie. Like picture that. It's like the table started to like shake. Yes. Damn. Carolyn's body recoiled. Her head lifted and she began mumbling a series of incoherent words in a language that no one could identify. Like otherworldly language. She began making noises that sounded as if it wasn't Carolyn who was making them. They were like, this isn't Carolyn's voice. What's going on? Her hands pulled. (laughs) I mean, in so many words. Her hands pulled free from the grasp of those on either side of her because they were like holding her and her fingers curled and her nails impaled the palms of her hands, which then led to Carolyn screaming out in pain and her eyes sprung open and suddenly both of her legs drew up to her chin as if her body was forming a fireball is how Andrea described it. A low pitched guttural groan came from deep within her as her body trembled in place. Andrea said in her book, it sounded like a wild animal warning off an intruder preparing to attack. She again began saying words in some other worldly language and then began making these shrill screams. Again and again, she would throw her head back as if it was being pulled from behind. It jerked with such force it should have broken her neck. Each outburst she had was louder than the last. Roger screamed for them to stop, but as he did, Carolyn's chair lifted off the floor where she remained suspended in the air for a few seconds before she flew straight back as if she was thrown into the parlor. And everyone who was, there was six witnesses? Yeah. Everyone corroborated this story. Oh yeah. Dude? Oh yeah. What? How does levitation? That's the end of your sentence? How does levitation? (laughs) Okay. I just, so many things, but. So, As she was thrown into the parlor, which happened very quickly, she flew like really fast. Her head hit the wood floor with such force that everyone in that house believed they had just witnessed Carolyn's death. Like that's how hard it hit. And including her two kids who are watching. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Roger immediately sprung to go to his unconscious wife on the floor. However, Ed tried to stop him telling him not to approach Carolyn But Roger wasn't having that, and he punched Ed in the face and then told them to get out of his house. Wow. Just as that happened, they heard a huge crash from downstairs, and the two large tech men ran downstairs to find that all of their equipment that they had set up down there had been smashed to pieces. So it's like Carolyn got flung, her head at the floor, Roger punched Ed in the face, and then they heard a gigantic crash downstairs. Wow, so everything that was recording this was destroyed. destroyed. Yeah. Dude, if this tape came out... Oh my god, could you imagine? 
I mean, that would you couldn't deny that, right? Yeah. I mean, unless you're like, oh, they faked it. They have they're suspending her with wires. I mean, in the 70s. I don't know. So they ran downstairs and they saw that their state of the art cameras and expensive equipment had been completely destroyed, and they were devastated because that's like really expensive. But after the Warrens left that night, they had no idea if Carolyn even survived. Like they left and she was unconscious. So they were like, did she die? I don't know. Oh, so like Roger actually kicked everyone Oh yeah. Out. He's like, get out. And they all had to leave. And that was it. They were left with that. That's what they had. How do you just leave after that? You just do. I mean, you're getting kicked out. Like, what are you going to do? So the Warrens came back to the farmhouse maybe six months later to see if Carolyn had survived. And she had. But, you know, when they left the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, what do you say? Like, when they left, you know, when they left that night, they thought she died. So they were coming to just be like, "Hey, um, did you live?" And she's like, "Yeah, leave." Oh, she told them to leave. I don't know that she did actually. I'm just making that up. But you know, after they left that day, they like didn't come back. It was just like a, "Oh, are you good?" And she was like, "I lived." Well, actually, Lorraine Lorraine Warren took Carolyn's notebook that she had recorded everything in for years. And Carolyn was like, you can take it and like copy it as long as you give it back to me. And Lorraine was like, for sure. And then she never gave it back. So, well, that's you know, not cool. Yeah. So she well, because Lorraine had, I guess, said like, this is a haunted item and you can't have like it's dangerous for it to be in the house. But they were upset about that because that was Carolyn Perrin's like extensive notes about what had been happening. Well, just copy onto a non-haunted one and then give that to her. <laughs> just give it back. I don't know if that's how it works. I don't know. But anyway, either way, Lorraine didn't give it back and they didn't come back to the house after that. Out of the many, many hauntings the Warrens investigated, Ed described their investigation there as the most significant of all investigations they have ever conducted. So this is like top tier spooky so they didn't even finish the seance no. like she's fully still possessed well no they don't think that she was possessed when it happened like they thought that she was being attacked or something at least that's what and andrea says i don't have the answers all i know is that they were kicked out and then they remained living in the house for like another five years so she did live but she had sustained like a really bad concussion so there is that but According to Andrea, the family continued to live in the house due to financial instability until they were able to move in 1980. So that was like another four or five years that they were there. And after that, they moved to Georgia. However, I believe Nancy, or one of the sisters I know, didn't want to leave the farmhouse, and she stayed back to act as a caretaker for the house. So like really? a, new, a new couple bought it, and she was like, can I stay? And they were like, yeah. This is so, so, so bizarre. And the Conjuring movie was clearly extremely different than the actual story, which is arguably way scarier than the movie itself. I mean, think about any of these things happening in a movie. You'd be like, uh, I'd like to leave, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And the men who made the movie read Andrea Perrin's trilogy about her family story. And they were like, yeah, no, we're definitely not going to be able to do that because it is far too scary. Like they were like, mm -mm, we're actively going to not do that. Because otherwise people yeah. won't, won't come and see it. Like, it'll be too scary. Yeah. So it was inspired, but it, it wasn't the actual thing. But like I said, Andrea Perrin wrote a trilogy called House of Darkness, House of Light. And it is the family's full, terrifying story. And I know I just talked about a lot of information, but I didn't even get anywhere near everything. Like, not even just the first book I didn't spoil. Like, it's, there's so much. <laughs> it is three books and the 
they're each like 500 pages long like it is insane oh actually yes you read 1500 pages for this episode no i didn't read all three i read um the first one and then i read part of the second one i did a lot lot. of i've been reading all week (laughs) like i've been reading and listening to hours of interviews with andrea all week long and like last week too like it this was a big episode but anyway if you guys are interested in hearing more about the story i highly encourage you to read her books because they are extremely detailed like you're you're gonna get it like you're gonna get the full story i couldn't have told the full story in this episode if i tried like if i wanted to we would have been here for so long but also yeah, i didn't want to multiple parter yeah also i didn't want to spoil her books like she wrote this trilogy for a reason like go read them you know yeah and actually there are a few encounters that she left out of the books by her family's request but from what i've heard she's making either like a tv series or a movie of her own of her family's like real actual story that is hopefully coming out in the not so distant future so fingers crossed keep your eyes open for that but one of the stories that she is including in this new project was one of her sisters either cindy or nancy was taking a bath and something held her under the water which is terrifying and one of them like came into the bathroom and again like burst the bubble and it like stopped happening wow but i guess whatever sister this was like didn't want her to put it in the books because like at the time that she wrote these books the paranormal like community wasn't as big and they didn't know how it would be received and they didn't want to be called crazy and like you know all these things so she left it out but it, it will be put in whatever project she's working on which is exciting and equally terrifying yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it's just such a weird position to occupy because i'm sure everyone wants to know but it's like she's kind of like a influencer Who? for her family uh, andrea. oh andrea oh yeah, yeah she is i mean of her sisters and her family like she is by far the most like known face and person because she you know she wrote the books and she's done so many interviews and she goes back to the house sometimes and like does talks and they did a documentary and this is like highly documented and as we talked about earlier it's not really known who the main aggressor is in that house lorraine thought it might be bathsheba others believed it was abigail arnold who was you know the the true like mistress of the estate because it was the arnold estate but based off of what i've seen it seems like abigail arnold is like a really nice spirit like we've we've seen those videos now and it's like they're talking to abigail and she's like their protector like she's nice you know but one thing for certain that i know about this house is that it is packed full of ghosts and entities so who knows it's just weird it's all it's a little weird when mom levitates and gets flung across the room yeah or gets stabbed in the calf or she has like her room set on fire or she faints into the fire or she has a scythe fall on her or she you know i could keep going i could there's 500 pages more there's many more pages than that like that's yeah what andrea has said about this entire experience is that love conquers fear good conquers evil and that the parent family had an extreme haunting that they survived this whole story to andrea is like one of love like it's about good versus evil and like love conquering all kind of thing so at the end of the day it's like a love story in her eyes and she has said like it's not all bad a lot the kids didn't want to leave for a reason like a lot of these things that they experienced were very positive and like really enlightening and really beautiful and so i i kind of highlighted the scary stuff because like it's halloween but it wasn't all bad one thing that is really sad is that april perrin sadly died in 2017 
from a prescribed fentanyl patch that she was given for surgery. So it was like literally something she was prescribed and it killed her, which is awful. Um, Although her passing devastated the family, they also feel very comforted knowing that she isn't really gone. And they know how to look out for signs that she is with them. So at the end of the day, they're like very comforted by their experience because even though really traumatic things happened, like they now know that whenever someone passes away, they're not gone. Yeah. So I don't, I hate to leave it on a sad note like that, but it is. So what happened like in the five years after? It feels like we just kind of brushed over that. Yeah. Like everything kept continuing the way it was or so they had really big periods of time sometimes when like things wouldn't really happen like the house would kind of go dormant and then like things would occur and then you know it was waves and there was one instance where carolyn who was kind of like really going through it like she had felt like she was losing her mind she wasn't really eating same stuff that we had been talking about she asked andrea to um heat up a bowl of stew that she had made for the whole family that night, but Carolyn had kind of slept through it. So it was like later in the evening. Mm. And as Andrea left the room to like make her mother a pot of coffee and like heat up this stew, Carolyn said that she saw a family in her home, like also eating stew, but like it was clearly from like a different time period. And like they had seen her, like she saw two men like point at her and like look at her. And it was almost as if she was the ghost. And so she felt like really comforted by that because it was like a really happy scene that she saw and like she was the ghost to them. And so to her, it was like, oh, this is just like a portal. Like it's just like a different dimension. Like it's it's not all scary. It's not all whatever. Like, I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> but there, there were times where she felt like extremely comforted and she like didn't feel so bad about the house anymore. And I think after that seance, like the really bad tormenting stuff stopped kind of happening to her from what I remember, but things definitely still happened. Yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted to know. She's still like extremely tormented brink of possession. I believe except for like one, I did bring up like the major ones. So what's the one (laughs) she was attacked when she was gardening. Like there was another instance where she like drew blood with like a gardening tool. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's that story. Okay. Anyway, I mean, let's just brush past that. <laughs> I mean, we're already at an hour, like over well, an hour. It's still cut down. People love it. It's Halloween. <laughs> I, I mean, don't have... am I just not going to ask about that? I don't have all the answers. I don't know. But point being, the house wasn't all bad. It was terrifying at times and traumatizing. And Carolyn and Cindy and like a couple of them have said, I will never, ever step foot in that house again. But like Andrea and their father and the other sister go back and they're like they they love it well yeah of course roger goes back he's trying to get <laughs> trying to get laid by the spirit oh god no it, he, it just it just wasn't like as scary to him because he got the loving side of the haunting yeah although that really shocks me because he like watched his wife get smacked yeah like wwe smackdown yeah. spirit style uh-huh but yeah i mean their their haunting didn't stop when they left either like it followed them a little bit like, like th- when they left the house? Yes. This is where I'm like not really as knowledgeable anymore. So like definitely go read the books. But there are three books for a reason. This is a big story. Do we have kind of a where are they now? Like what are they all still alive? Yeah. Yeah. Andrea and I believe Cindy and her mother live in Georgia. And Andrea also flips back and forth, I believe, between 
Georgia and Florida because she lives with her dad in Florida and she lives with her mom in Georgia. And she is all over the place. She's doing interviews and conferences and investigations and, you know, all her really cool work. So she's she's very active. And she's also writing a screenplay or she has written it. And it's like, you know, trying to get it made, picked up by whoever. So I'm hyped for that. I really can't wait for whatever that is. But as far as her other sisters go and her parents, like they're pretty out of the spotlight. Like they just want to be normal people. And they are. Um, But yeah, that is the survival of the Perrin family and, in other words, the Conjuring House. Yeah, genuinely terrifying. I know. At 30% in. Uh Uh-huh. And it just, it really kept going. I know. Happy Halloween, right? Yeah. (laughs) What I'm going to take from this is that it's not real. Okay. I am back into full denial. I want so nothing of it. It's too scary. I don't want anything. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't invite any negative energy no. into our space because I like our space. It feels good. And uh, I hope that nothing ruins that. Yeah. For us. Said, I'd like to package it up in a nice box and I'm going to write return to sender. No, like. And I'll just put it right back in the mailbox. I'm actually quite excited to be done with this story because yeah, I have spent the last. I've been, re- I've been extra jumpy. Like I am quite jumpy as it is, but like. I can't even see you without being spooked. Like, And that's yeah. not because you're doing anything. You're just existing. Yeah, but... well, I have been trying to like look a little extra floaty lately. <laughs> You've been levitating more. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but also like I'm like waking up in the middle of the night. I'm like freaked a little bit. So I'm ready to just go back to my normal level of jumpiness. <laughs> yeah, well, I <laughs> mean, I if, you, if, <laughs> if you see fire at night, I will believe you. Thank at least, you. you. Thank know. you so much. We'll get, um, are Ed and Lorraine Warren still no, around? No, they're who, both. Who are, who are them now? Okay. They're, uh, they both passed. Um, Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren had a like haunted museum in their house from like all the haunted items that they've collected throughout all their investigations and what have you. They kept them safe quote-unquote in their house and now they're both sadly passed but i believe their son-in-law runs it um so like you can still go see it um and you can like tour it and you know whatever i think but um yeah they're they're both gone it's now the son-in-law that's it i guess i was asking who are them now like is there anyone else who does what they do now oh uh not to my knowledge no i I mean i don't know maybe i hope to never know because i don't want to have to use it (laughs) Oh yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. That's that's all I have. <laughs> what what's your good thing? Let's get out of the spooky land. Uh, my good thing is that we are having oh my god a little Halloween party. Yeah, a little gathering, not a séance. No, god. But a gathering, and it won't be spooky, but it will be fun. A fun spooky. Yeah, I guess we can say what our costumes are. What are you? Oh yeah, I'm I'm going to be cash cow, and I am holy cow. Um, and I'm very excited. Uh, I'm sure photos will be on my Instagram. So if you want to see that, head over there. Um, my good thing is the Italian wedding soup we made tonight. Say less. We made really good soup and it's just soup. It's soup season, baby. You know? But it's always soup season. It's not always soup season. Ooh, I disagree. You, you love. To give me a soup and a baguette. I'm living. That's true. You love a soup. You live for soup. And I love that for you. Mm-hmm. But I love that it's like getting chilly and I can have a nice warm soup 
to warm my soul. And we did that tonight. And I, we made it really good, except for the meatballs, which meatballs were not were so flawed. good. But no, they were a little freezer burnt. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But everything else was really good. And I love soap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll see myself out. I love soap. I love soap. It's been a long week, guys. <laughs> anyway, I hope you had a wonderful Halloween or will have a, a wonderful Halloween. Stay safe, dress up, eat some candy. Do it. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to check out a bonus episode or many other bonus episodes, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or something spooky or something crazy that's happened to you and you want to send it to us and possibly hear it on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to knowtodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. 